You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, I am absolutely loving these stories in Exodus. But are they just stories, like ancient stories, or do they have a relevance? Yeah, that's true. Are they just history, or do they really mean something? So, can we learn from them? I think we can. We can learn from what happened thousands of years ago, and we're going to look at that today on on More More Than Than Ink. Well, good morning and welcome. We're sitting at our dining room table. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim, and I have uh, half a cup of coffee Oh, left. good for you. <laughs> We've been sitting here for a little while. And today we're, we are continuing the story in Exodus 17. Last week we talked about in the desert. receiving manna yeah. and, and the grumbling that brought that about and, and the purpose of manna being to test what was in their heart. Would they yeah. walk in God's ways or not? God had a purpose in all this. And he continued to feed them for 40 years so you know and he gives them the sabbath rest right on that day they don't have to go out and gather yeah what a wonderful twice as much as they need the day before so they can rest and it's only been a matter of weeks a couple of months since they were slaves in egypt and so the idea of setting aside an entire day for rest is pretty significant it's it's radical so but they're continuing on their journey into the wilderness across this desert Land, Pushing further and further, further and further into the desert. Right. More sand. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So let's just start reading. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, should I? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I get to read. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. We're if you're following with us, we're in chapter 17 of Exodus. So all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our (laughs) livestock with thirst? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb and you will strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? We'll stop wow. Yeah. That's, you know, it's such a concise little story. It is, but it's another grumbling story. Oh, well, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, quarreling, quarreling, grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And as we said last week, this repetition of this idea of grumbling against Moses when he says, hey, it's not about me. Your quarrel is with God. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, let's be fair. When you don't have water, it becomes your number one priority. Okay, because you so, can't live very long without water. Yeah, and so now they're in a place where there is no water. And uh, and 
remember, God never does anything capriciously. There's there's right. purpose and teaching behind everything he does. He brings them to a place that has no water. And in a sense, wonders how are they going to respond? Where are they going to look for resources? And uh, and so that's, that's where we are here in Rephidim. Okay, and if you think about what we've seen from water so far in Exodus in this wilderness journey, the first water he brought them to was the bitter, undrinkable water undrinkable. that had to be transformed. Yeah, and yeah. then he takes them to the, the oasis at Elim where there are 12 springs yeah, of plenty, water, right? Plenty. Enough for everybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right. then now they're, they're a little ways out from there. And yeah. suddenly they're not carrying much anymore. They've drunk it all up and they start grumbling again. We're out right. here in the middle and of nowhere. Out of it again. We probably right. need to to mention though that this territory is not foreign to Moses. Yeah, that's he right. He knows He's still, the road mm-hmm. that they're traveling. Yep. The people do not, but he used to pasture sheep in this area. Yep. So he yep. knows where they are. Yeah. So yeah, it, that that's exactly right. And so so here we are faced with this problem. And so where where do you go when you come up short in life? I mean, what do you appeal to? Uh, how do, how do you figure out how to fix the situation? And it's interesting that that in verse two, uh, they don't come to Moses and say, Moses, pray and let's let's pray to God and ask for it. They say to Moses, Give us water. Right. Give us water. They still think all these things come from Moses and Aaron. And they don't, they come from God. They're appealing to the wrong place. And then Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? You know, you're actually testing the Lord is what you're doing. Right. And last time we talked about the fact that this testing of the Lord is this whole idea is, is he with us or is he not with right. us? And the, and the grumbling and quarreling reveals your heart doesn't really believe he's with you. And how many times does he have to provide what you need before you will quit grumbling and trust him? Yeah. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. At this point, they have already been receiving manna every day. Right. And, right. They, and they still are. Right. I mean, the day that they did this grumbling, they were eating. They right. were eating manna. They right. picked up that morning. Right. So, so, I mean, we look at that and go, how can they be so stupid? But, you know. Wow, we're there. Yeah. They are when, us. When you're faced with a desperate need and water's a desperate need, you know, you, you suddenly count your resources and see what's on your side. In this particular case, they didn't count the fact that God was on their side. That's that's the real sin of this entire thing. Well, and they blame Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to yeah, kill us? Like and it our was children? his idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. and again, it's this idea that we're going to die out here when God had told them from the very beginning, "You will not die." Right. I'm he going promised. to take you through. Yeah. I'm going to provide for you. So it strikes me that this is a great example of what Paul called about the option of walking by faith or by sight. Mm-hmm. You know, when you walk by sight, what you're doing is you're assessing where you're at, and you're assessing the resources, you're assessing your needs, and you're seeing if they match am i going to live tomorrow based on the resources i have at my command and Mm -hmm. control that's living by sight Uh, and if the threats seem to be much bigger than any possible source of resources then you lay awake at night thinking we're all going to die right and that's that's walking by sight but by faith by faith walking by faith is the whole process of of counting on the resources of the promises of god to bring you through and turn which we there. cannot see which we cannot but see god sees that, that's why it's not sight it's faith in that particular sense so in, in fact the writer of hebrews says it's the assurance of things you can't you see you can't see yeah so here what, what god is doing in a really practical sense is he's developing their faith he's giving them an understanding based on god's documented faithfulness right. to meet their needs he's building in them a faith that next time a need comes up, they say, well, we just need to turn to the Lord. He's been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in the future. Later on, God will demand of them huge things. 
and uh, and they will show some growth, but God will have to remind them, listen, I'm the God that got you out of right. Egypt. So there's the documented thing. So I might point out just quickly is the fact that this kind of faith, this kind of faith where you act on the invisible is not unfounded. It's no. founded on a track record of God. So God's track record, he brought us out of Egypt. God's track record, he purified the bitter water. God's track record, you know, he brought us food every morning. God has a track record. And based on that track record, you can have faith in God's future faithfulness to us. That That's just a really important point because a lot of people misconceive faith and think it's why well, it's just Well, we hear the term hoping blind something happens. faith. Right, yeah. right. I just hope it happens. Say, Who knows? No, so, faith is not blind. No. God never requires of us yeah. blind faith. He always gives us enough evidence to stand on, to project an expectation that he will do what he's told us he would do right. because he always has done right what so he said faith he would do. is really a bridge between what god has done and what we can expect him to do in the future that's it's, that's that's just our little yeah, based on the concrete reality of his yeah. character yeah and that's what he's teaching right here i mean he's building up these events where they can do that and yet still they're not they're not quite there why did you bring us up out of egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with there's there's some real farmers yeah, so talking when you're there. unhappy you got to blame somebody you got to blame right. somebody where's right? the scapegoat right. right the motivation <laughs> must be you hate us and you want to kill us because look right here in the desert and there's no water but it's interesting what god tells moses to do now Okay. Uh, because we and we already read it before, but look specifically at it. The Lord says to Moses in verse five, "Pass on before the people, right? Let them see you doing mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff the with staff. which you struck the Nile, and go." Now think about that. He says specifically, not just your staff, the staff with which you struck the Nile. Mm-hmm. What happened when he struck the Nile? The water turned to blood and became undrinkable. Mm-hmm, so what mm-hmm. was a source of life became a source of death yeah. for them. Yeah. Right. So they're out here saying, we're going to die. So God says, take your staff, your symbol of authority. That's the identified connection with God. Right. Too. Yeah. And then the Lord says in verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the ah. rock at Horeb. Now, Horeb was, uh, shows up first in Exodus 3.1. So again, mm-hmm. I, this is familiar territory to Moses. Yes. This is around what is identified as the Mount of God in yeah. Exodus 3.1. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So he struck the Nile in Egypt, and the water turned to blood, and everything in it died. It was undrinkable. But here he's going to strike the rock, and the water will come out, and the people will drink and have life. And the connection with Nile is also one of... of a scope because you think about the fact okay. that what God can do, He can actually change the mighty Nile. I mean, that's a lot of water. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge amount of water. And here He's saying, and I can provide a huge, a huge event of water as well. Because you got to remember, we're talking about two million people in the desert, and so getting enough water to two million people plus all their animals. That's like a river of water. It's a lot of water that's needed. So when he says rock, this is not just some, you know, granite stone sitting on the ground. Right. It's The picture is a massive monolithic rock. Right. Right. When the psalmist uses the term rock for like a mountain crag of yeah, rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they know that you don't get water from a rock. rock. <laughs> Hey, even we know that. <laughs> so, so God's doing a very deliberate 
a contrast thing right here. He doesn't say <laughs> smack the sand and a, and a spring will come out. He says smack a rock, and you, you've never seen this before. Right. Watch it's this. It's very clear this is a supernatural thing. Exactly. God's doing this for for contrast, and it's a, it's a really great way to do it. And, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. Wow. Are you going to make the connection water to 1 Corinthians uh, 10? I'm just opening uh, That's what to I it thought. Right I saw now. you flipping. I saw flipping you flipping. Yeah. So, this yeah. is interesting. So, you know, it's always helpful when we're reading these Old Testament narratives to look and see, is there a commentary on it in the New Testament? Yeah, yeah, does yeah. Jesus talk about it? Or does Paul talk about it? Or is it somewhere else in one of the Gospels? Right, so right. here we find Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 making a, a fairly <laughs> lengthy statement yeah, explaining. Now, he's not taking away from the experience of the people in the desert, but he's saying, but here's what it meant. Here's the significance for us. So he says in 1 Corinthians 10, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, right? The the pillar of the cloud, cloud, right? right. And they all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, Sea. and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So he's talking about not literal baptism. He's talking about being plunged into Moses, right? Right. In that experience. Being immersed in the experience. Verse three, and they all ate the same spiritual food, Right, yeah, the manna, manna, the bread manna. from God. Verse four, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. Now listen to this. Spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock Ooh. was Christ. That'll stop us in our tracks. Uh, I got to think about that for a second. Now all of a sudden, if, if I if I take that seriously, then when I go back and read this story in Exodus, God is is with these real people in a real place and time having a real experience giving us a picture of the rock of christ Mm. being stricken yeah for the living water to flow out and that people will drink and have life yeah so paul says now nevertheless with most of them god was not well pleased and he goes on to talk about their grumbling grumbling yeah and the bad example and he says now in verse 11 these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction verse 12 therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall right pay attention because what happened to them was so that we won't do what they did yeah we won't respond the way they did save us the heartache so jot that down and go back and read after you've read this passage again (laughs) turn to first corinthians 10 and just start reading first corinthians 10 paul's example paul's unpacking of this exodus account yeah this is not an uh an obscure account for 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 Paul, this is a central picture of Christ himself. It made me think, too, about Jesus in John 7. He says, if anyone mm-hmm. thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Right. So when Paul says that, that Jesus is that rock from which it flows the water, yeah, that's it. Jesus says the same thing. Come to me and you can drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, here in Exodus, God specifically tells Moses, now take your staff and smack the rock. Strike, strike it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But later on, yeah. uh, numbers will tell us there was a second time yeah. in somewhere in this same region where God says to Moses, the people are grumbling again. Now, take your staff in your hand, but speak to the rock speak don't strike and moses is so angry he disregards god's instructions and he does strike the rock and that Mm -hmm. has some lifelong implications implications so we'll we'll get to that later on so so, so just take note of the fact that here he's told to strike it's important which is the picture of jesus christ the rock being stricken yeah 
yeah. for us, right, for the living water to flow. But that second event where Moses is just asked to speak to the rock, where God tells him to speak, set me thinking of John 4, where Jesus says to the woman at the well, now, uh, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked ask him, him. Yeah, and ask he would me. have given you yeah. living water. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living yeah. water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the water, the water imagery here is practical and realistic, but in a spiritual sense is also practical and realistic and comes only from Jesus. Yeah, come to me and drink. What do you make of this Massa and Meribah titling of the, uh, of the place? Well, you know, you often name a place according to what happened there. Yeah. Right, yeah. so the meanings of those two words are helpful, right? Massa means to test. Right. Or there was a test yeah. in Meribah to quarrel. He tells us right in the passage. Right. He says, oh, that's right. There it is. <laughs> there it is. He translates it for us in case we don't know because of the quarreling. You call it right. Meribah and, uh, because of the, they tested the Lord testing Masa. So that's testing and quarreling. And that's what Moses named the place. It's fascinating that Moses doesn't name it. God did water them. Right. Water from the rock. But instead he says, we're going to remember this place as where you guys did really right. poorly. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and, and then he puts a cap on it in that last phrase right there. Isn't it fascinating? Right. Not just testing and quarreling, but but you tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Right. And there's the heart of the issue. Yeah, prove yourself. The heart of the issue. Is the Lord among us or not? Which I find fascinating based on the fact that they got this pillar of cloud during the day and at night you yeah. got the fire and still they're doubting the fact that God is with us when they come up with no water and they have no presumption that God's going to provide for them. It, it still just astonishes me. And yet God's given us this picture of living water flowing out of a hard rock, yeah. right? Yeah. Which yeah. is what he does in us when he strikes our stony hearts yeah. and we repent and we're given the living water. And he gives us living water anyway. Oh my anyway. goodness, there's so much yeah. in this picture. Yeah, so this particular event uh, at Mass and Meribah, those two names come up. Uh, a couple oh. other times, I, th I think in Deuteronomy. They become shorthand yeah, for this shorthand. event that yeah. writer will just mention, like Massa and Meribah, and right. then they the expectation is that you will fill in the rest of the story. Exactly. So right. his naming of this place stuck, and people knew. People right. knew when you say those two words, this is what oh, this is when you wondered if the Lord is among us. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's push on. Oh, we have to. We go from water to wars. Okay, I'll read this one, and then you can... Start okay. the commentary. Verse 8. <laughs> then Amalek came and fought with Israel Amalek. at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses... Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one mm -hmm. on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay, ha. So, so we're in the desert and we have our first very significant attack. Un, un, uh, unprovoked attack. Well, we tend to think that they were all alone out there, but they weren't. Yeah. There were nomadic peoples that passed through this area. Right, right. And who were the Amalekites? Because yeah. uh, they just kind of appear out of nowhere here. Didn't see. Amalek 
was from Esau. They right? are descendants of remote descendants of Esau. Yeah. So they should know that the promise right. of the promised land, which went to Jacob instead of Esau. Right. They should know generationally that these people coming through are really deserving this land. So they're actually warring against the promise of God coming true. Exactly. So there's 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 history here. Which is actually was a characteristic of the peoples that descended from Esau. They became people who warred against Israel for yeah. generations. Yeah. And yeah. Esau was characterized by the writer of Hebrews as godless and immoral. Yeah. And that those characteristics went forward into the peoples that grew from him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we don't have time to unpack that, but I'm studying Genesis concurrently. And so we've, <laughs> I've done a lot of work on Esau recently. Well, this, this triggered another historical tidbit, which helps you understand this in Deuteronomy 25, verse yes. 17. Oh, yes. You know, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and right. weary and cut off your tail. That's the end of the people, the stragglers, those who were lagging behind you. And he did not fear God. So he was actually nipping at the weakest people who were straggling. On the vulnerable. Yeah, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was really, really horrible. And so to fight them, these bunch of ex-slaves, not professional soldiers, right. God says, I'm going to make a visual sign about the fact that you will prevail in battle as you look to me for help. And so he designs this idea with Moses. So Okay, so what's the deal with Moses sitting up where they can see him, holding up where his hands? Where they can see him, yeah, yes. exactly. And for the benefit of Joshua, right. who will later on be the one who fights all those battles as they move in the promised land. I think this was as much for Joshua as for anybody right. else. So that as Moses lifted up the staff, which is the, kind of a symbol of appealing to God for help, as long as they lift that up, they prevail, and when it comes down, they don't. So Moses has Aaron and her keep those arms up in the air. It's a, it's a tremendous picture of looking to God constantly without yeah. without hesitation. And for isn't help. it interesting that they Moses gets tired, and so they get a stone, a rock. I get a stone, and he sits on it. <laughs> sit on so this. he is yeah. steady. Yeah. resting on the rock. Oh, there's a little theology here. So much Im- imagery in <laughs> and, this. And on his right hand and the left, Aaron yeah. and her holding up his arms. Yeah, holding right. up his oh, arms. Oh my goodness. I know. The, the, you could talk about this for days. The imagery is so powerful so that the people would see this, that Joshua would see it. It, it. It's just, it's fascinating. And I find it fascinating too that God didn't just wipe out the Amalekites like he did with the Egyptians in the Red right. Sea. He's involving them in hand-to-hand combat. This is mm-hmm. something that God says, I want you to be engaged in this. Right. But by the way, you're never going to be able to take credit for, for getting rid of the Am- right. Amalekites because of your great swordsmanship and stuff like that. It's always going to be when you tell your grandchildren and their children and their children, it's going to be, it wasn't because we were great soldiers because we were slaves. It's because right. God did this for us. But it's interesting that these peoples that grew out of Esau were going to continue to be trouble for Israel, oh, right? For, for a long time. And that's time. an important picture too, that, yeah. that the heritage of the godless people, the ones who did not inherit the promise, indeed rejected God, yes. will continue to make trouble for the people who over are walking into the over. promise of God. Yeah. That is that is a picture of spiritual warfare. Yep, of a right? persistent nagging. Nagging at your heels, with, yeah. which was what the Amalekites did. And the That's other, what the Amalekites you know, the did. The Edomites, the Moabites, these people had different characteristics in their yeah. struggling against Israel. Yeah. But, and you know what I'd forgotten until I read this? Huh? Uh, we just went through Esther. Oh, yes. Haman, the bad guy. Haman was a descendant of Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Amalekites. You're right. Yeah. And he was he was trying to annihilate genocide. Annihilate the Jews. All the Jews. Yep. Yeah. So, so And that's that's hundreds of years after this. I mean, yeah. so the whole Amalekite problem goes on for a long time. I think he's the end of it. 
when, I think he is too. Um, yeah. Yeah. When Haman is killed, that's the end of the of the line. Yeah. I think for so those too. Those people. But it's a it's a great symbol for us about spiritual warfare and the fact that there is a there is a constant war going on and it's allied against us mm-hmm. and and it's it's deliberately it's deliberately set to try and take us away from our dependence mm-hmm. on God. But here with this symbol of Moses with his hand in the air with his staff, with with Aaron and her on both sides holding him up, we get this wonderful picture that as long as you look to the Lord for your resource even though you got a sword in your hand, but if you look to the Lord for your resource, he will indeed be the one who fights the battle and wins on your behalf. And that is such a huge issue for Joshua that at the end of this, in verse 14, it says, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Right. We don't want Joshua to forget, you know, and that God's going to fight on your behalf. And the Lord is my banner. He's my Jehovah and they say, he's the one who fights for me. And by the way, when it says this banner, that's what you put up in battle. Right. And you follow this banner and say, this is this is our well, leader. Because that's where in. your general is or where that's the, right. the king carries yeah. the banner. Right. Yeah. So you know where your side so is. Who's our general that's right underneath right. that banner? God himself is that general. And that's what we got to remember. So now the ESV says this interesting thing in verse 16, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Does does that mean uh, I have a hand upon the throne of the Lord or the Amalekites were trying to lay trying a hand to, yeah. on the throne of the That's Lord? That's how I've always Yeah, there's a couple it. different ways to read that. But yeah. in any case, it's the Lord is the one whose yeah. banner is over Because that, that sentence makes sense. If the Amalekites are trying to put their hand on right. the throne of the They're Lord, no, the hand. Lord will have war on Amalek from generation to generation. Right. He'll never prevail. Never prevail. God's the one who is our banner under whom he wins the battle for us and we're his. He fights for us. Yeah. He fights for us. Yeah. Um, so, hmm. boy, we're, we're out of time again. I know. I, but I just encourage I you that. who are listening as we read these accounts, read these stories, to just sit still in them and think about Ask yourself, what is this narrative about? What's yeah. the main point? What is God doing? Yeah. Right? Because God is a central character in this story. Exactly. And I like to I like to think that because this is an oral history that they sat around the campfires and told yes. these true stories and said, So kids, what you can learn from this is God fights on our behalf when we turn to him. So these are these are stories that are not just meant to be history, they're meant to be teaching tools to give us a deep understanding into the character of God himself. Not only are they learning it in the desert, but we are too. So we're glad you're with us and we'll find more stories as we go through the desert right here on More Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. That's exactly what we want to do. That's, yeah, too soon. I jumped again. <laughs> <laughs>